Hey, Cross Point Church, it is a privilege to be with you today. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be uh, gathering with you and uh, being able to share what I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, a message and, and just an incredible message that God has laid on my heart uh, for not just you folks tuning in, but for me as well. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, knowing that I was going to be preaching this uh, weekend uh, for quite a while now, and I also have known that I had chapter 15 of Luke, which is where we're going to be today, uh, for quite a while, so I've had an opportunity to work my way through it a lot. And so if you want to take a moment while we're just getting ready to get started uh, to get your Bibles open or tapped open to uh, chapter 15 of Luke, we'll pick right up there. Um, I just want to say that uh, it's been a while since I've been with you because of everything that's going on. I've been to the Bahamas and back, and we just had an incredible uh, time down there uh, working and doing some amazing things and making some connections, and we'll share about that a little later on. But I just want to say it is so good to be home with my family. And so uh, we're going to jump right in, uh, but let's look to the Father first, shall we? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence this very moment. God, we are so grateful that uh, we have an opportunity to uh, hear from you. Uh, this day and age offers many uh, ways in which people can communicate and receive information and also to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get an opportunity today, Lord, to do that over the internet, over the airways. And we just thank you for this privilege. Father God, now we pray, I pray, that you would help us to really focus in on you. Lord, to put aside the distractions that are fighting for our attention, uh, even this very moment. Lord, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world today. And I just ask right now that you would just allow the presence of your Holy Spirit to move into every home and every heart that is tuning in, and that you, Lord, would help each one of us, myself included in this request, to put aside the distractions, to maybe even allow our brains to switch off from the information that is coming in at lightning speed and to just zero in on hearing from you and from your word. And so, God, we offer ourselves today asking for you to help us to hear. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. Um, this whole chapter uh, is comprised of three parables or three short stories as uh, it is best described from start to finish, from the first verse to the last verse. And we're going to be specifically keying in on verses 1 through 10, which covers the first two short stories, if you will, that Jesus used. We'll touch on the third one, but I'll condense it rather than reading the verses. I'll just condense the main point of what that is all about, because they all tie in together. 
And so if you want, and you will allow and permit me, I am going to just share with you what a parable is. And um, I've known for quite some time, I was taught what this meant, but I want to share with you the, I think, what is the best description that I have found that really makes it simple to understand, And, and it comes from Wikipedia. So here it is. A parable is a short story that illustrates a universal truth. And it's really a simple narrative is what it is. And uh, Jesus used this particular way of communicating with the people that he came in contact with because it was very easy to understand, very easy to get a hold of, and it was very easy to track from start to finish what the whole purpose was. It goes on to say that, uh, this particular simple narrative sketches a setting. In other words, it, it kind of almost draws out in your mind the setting of where we find the people that are involved in it. So you can quickly jump into what's going on. And then it also, as it moves through the story, it describes an action. So there's nothing left uh, not knowing what's going on here. It specifically describes an action. And then it shows the results of those actions that are going on. And so I love that whole definition of what a parable is or a short story. And I love the fact uh, that Jesus used these for everybody. It didn't matter who was listening. Everybody benefited and knew exactly what was being said. And so that's what we're going to be touching on. And so if you'll join me. Let's look at verse 1, and we'll just start reading right there. I'm reading from the message version, and the reason why I chose that is simply because of this. Jesus used stories, things that, words that, phrases that everybody could understand. And I love a good story. And the message version reads very easy, almost like a great story. And so here we go, verse 1 of chapter 15 of Luke. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Let me just stop there because I want to pull out just a few quick words there that I really want you to focus in on because they're going to follow us through this whole message today. By this time, a lot of men and women, here's the words I want you to key in on, of doubtful reputation. I want you to catch those were hanging around Jesus, and what were they doing? It says they were listening intently. So I want you to listen intently as well. It goes on to say the Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. Not pleased at all. In fact, they growled. And this is what they said. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered a story. Jesus heard them, and so he went right immediately to a story. And Jesus is actually communicating to those religious leaders through these stories. Here's what it says in verse 4. And this is Jesus speaking. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? Now keep in mind, back then, sheep and livestock were a big deal. Uh, for survivability, for um, using them as currency, if you will, uh, a way of life, making a a life, uh, being able to provide for your family. And so it's a big deal. And he used that analogy of a lost sheep. Then he goes on to say, 
after the sheep was lost and, and the, the shepherd went out to leave the 99 and to find this lost one, when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing when you got home, calling all of your friends and neighbors, saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it, Jesus said. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. And then it goes on to say in the second short story that Jesus shared in verse 8, or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Now let's just pause there just for a second. When you had any source of income coming in during that day, it was of great value. And I'm not sure what she did for work or how she came about uh, these coins, but it says that she had 10, which leads me to believe that probably not a lot. And so each one was of great value to her because of her surviving to provide for her family, to take care of her needs, to do whatever it was. And Jesus said, imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, cleaning it from top to bottom, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it. And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it, Jesus says. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Now, I want you to take just a moment and jump back up to the very beginning and listen to these words once again. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. They were not pleased at all. Key in on this. They growled, he takes sinners in and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered the stories that we just read. That's what Pharisees and religious scholars said about Jesus. That's what they said. So how does that strike you when you know that it's the religious leaders and the Pharisees who are saying these things about Jesus? What do you hear in the words that they said concerning those of doubtful reputation and taking them in and their sinners and having a meal with them and treating them like old friends? How do those, what do you hear in those words? Are they words of maybe complaints and disagreements or are they words of hope and invitation? Well, I, like many of you, would say that they are disagreement words, that they are words that are complaining. But consider, could they be words of hope and invitation? Just think for a moment on that. It's hard for me to think about the fact that the words that the Pharisees and the religious scholars were saying would, could be words of hope and invitation. Hmm. At one level, the words and the Pharisees and the scribes are simply a statement of fact. That, that's just what they are. That's what Jesus did. So they're stating a simple fact. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. 
He ate with people of, I'm not sure that's the right type of people, types of reputation. Not only does Luke tell us about this, but so does the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. That's just what Jesus did. That's who he went with. At another level, these words are an accusation. They're kind of like an indictment and a judgment is being passed through the voices and the words that these Pharisees and these religious scholars are using. In the eyes and in the words of these people, these Pharisees, these religious scholars, Jesus is guilty of violating the law. And he's also violating the social norms of that day. That's just what he did. So when you think about it, at the very deepest level, their words, ironically enough, are a pure statement form of the gospel. They are good news. They are words of hope. They have just spoken the good news by saying that Jesus did these things with these types of people. Jesus not only welcomes sinners and men and women of questionable reputation, he eats with them. Eating with them means that there is relationship and acceptance. Now, if you do some study and you take some time to go back into that day, you will find quickly that when people gathered around a table and ate a meal together, that there was a purpose of deepening a relationship with those that were gathered around it, wanting to get to know them more, but also a desire to show acceptance to them because you invited them into your table. And not only that, but you took time to prepare a meal and have a meal offered to them. That is a big deal back then. And Jesus, what he has done, we see in these words here, is that he has aligned himself with those people that he has gathered around the table and is eating with. He's on their side. Throughout the gospel stories that we read in the scripture, Jesus chooses to hang out with the quote-unquote so-called wrong kind of people. That's why the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. It says that they were listening to him intently. He offered them something that no one else could or would. And if you stop for just a moment and consider that, he was offering them something more than what they were getting from the religious scholars and the Pharisees of the day. That's just what Jesus did. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Jesus was breaking the law. He was crossing the lines. And he was making God just a little too easily available. So I wonder, if you think about these things, if the fact that Jesus chooses to hang out with the wrong kind of people if we might not hear these words of the Pharisees and the scribes, remember those words? If not, I'm going to read them to you. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. I wonder if we might not hear these words 
that they said as good news. I think the difficulty for most of us is that we don't see ourselves as the wrong kind of people. To the contrary, we, we try really hard to be the right kind of people, don't we? I do. I admit it readily. So, sure, there are times when we do say the wrong things. Guilty. I have been guilty of saying the wrong things at the wrong time. Sometimes we're guilty. Sometimes I'm guilty of these things. But I'm not suggesting that we need to make ourselves into this so-called wrong kind of people, whatever that might be in your definition or in today's definition by the world. But what I'm suggesting is that we need a different starting point rather than going there. We need a, a different starting point, not only for ourselves but for each other as we look at things. When it comes to the world, and I'm talking about anybody that is drawing breath on the face of this planet today, when we talk about the world, the starting point for Jesus is grace. And I am confident that we can miss that. So did you catch that? The starting point for Jesus has been, is, and will be grace. Do you remember Pastor John's sermon last week? That whole thing from start to finish was about this amazing grace that God has given us. And I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that one again, especially, because it just sets the stage of us understanding that this is an incredible grace that has been offered for everyone, me and the rest of the world included. The starting point for Jesus is grace. It's searching, not blaming. It's finding, not punishing. And it's rejoicing, not condemning. The first question for Jesus is not one of sin. It's not who's in and who's out. Or even who gets an invitation to the table. No, for Jesus, everyone is invited to the table. It doesn't matter who they are or what they have done or are doing or will do. Everybody is invited to the table. He's searching, not blaming people. He's finding, not punishing people. I don't know where people get off that it's about punishment. It isn't. It's about finding people. And it's about rejoicing rather than condemning. And that is grace, the starting point of Jesus. It seems that for many, maybe most, sin is a legal category that is, it's primarily restricted to and declarative of physical behaviors today rather than a descriptive of conditions and relationships. It seems as a judgment rather than a diagnosis. That's why it's often hard for us to hear this good news and to rejoice at the meals that Jesus Christ offers and shares with sinners and people of questionable reputation. Yeah. It is very difficult for us to rejoice in that. 
we often don't think of sin being about us, being about me personally. Compared to those kind of people, we think we look pretty good. So did the Pharisees and the religious scholars of the day. They felt like they looked pretty good in God's eyes. For Jesus, however, the defining characteristic of sin is not misbehavior, but it's about being lost. Notice these short stories that Jesus has offered to us, not just to the Pharisees back in the day, but to us today in 2020. They're not about being wrong. They're about being lost. Did you catch the first one? It was about a sheep that was lost. It was about, in the second one, a coin that was lost. There's nothing about blame or finding fault in any of those stories. Not one bit. That doesn't seem to be Jesus' concern in those stories about blaming someone or something. Not at all. His concern is for the one that is lost or missing, or absent. Jesus doesn't explain how the lost one became lost. He doesn't go into great detail and cover all the bases and all the gory details of how this sheep left and got lost, or how this coin got lost. In fact, he doesn't even spend time about the shepherd that lost the sheep, or the woman that lost the coin. It's about the one thing being found. He doesn't cast any blame or judgment at all in these stories. That's not the issue. The issue for Jesus The issue for Jesus is recovering and reclaiming the lost. That's the core issue in these stories. No doubt, no question, we can be lost in the darkness of evil. There is no question any of us can be lost in the darkness of evil. We can, we can have this happen in our lives. If you take a look at humanity throughout history, we have done some pretty terrible things to one another. But here's the deal. We can also be really good and really lost at the same time. Think about it. We can be good, we can be a hardworking individual and successful in our careers and still feel lost without a true sense of direction or meaning. We can be holding it all together and, and we can still be lost in the depths of incredible grief and despair just to consider what's going on today in the world. We can be a good spouse, doing all the right things and, and giving all the right appearances, and still we can be lost in a loveless marriage. We can even have a good reputation and be lost in the questions of our own identity and purpose in this life. We can be so busy and productive that we're lost to the wonder and the beauty and the mystery of life. I've been there. 
How many times I have just gone through an entire day and missed the beauty of the sunshine and the warmth of, of it and the, the beautiful area that I live in. We can just get so busy and get lost in that. We can even financially be incredibly secure and still be lost in a tremendous amount of fear. Just look at what's going on today. This world is almost entombed in a state of incredible fear because of this virus that is wreaking havoc all over the world. Not just in the markets or in businesses or the economy or anything like that. It's wreaking havoc in people's lives, physically, emotionally. It's unbelievable. We can say and do all the right things and be lost in a secret life that is so self-destructive that it hurts ourselves physically, emotionally, socially, and it also impacts and hurts those around us. I think when Jesus came to this world, he enlarged the definition of sin. And you might be saying, what in the world are you talking about? If you think just for a moment about that statement, that he has enlarged the definition of sin, I want you to consider this. He has, because of that, expanded the range of the experience of grace. It covers everything. The grace that Jesus affords to everybody in this world covers everything. The Pharisees, the religious scholars of the day, whether it was back during his time or even today, want to make it about the character of sinners, those evil people, those of questionable reputation. They want to make it about their character. That happens whenever sin is defined as only a legal category of wrong behavior. Jesus, however makes it about God's character. That's the point of these simple, easy-to-understand stories. They reveal God's character, God's grace, God's way of being toward us that is revealed in and through Jesus. That's it. That grace and character are revealed in Jesus' searching and finding and rejoicing. Those are not three different things. People might say, well, Pastor Dave, you just said three different things. Searching, finding, and rejoicing. They're not three different things. Consider this. They are three separate actions of moments in time. They are three manifestations of God's one grace. That's what they are. They are the ongoing presence of God in Jesus Christ in each one of our lives. And for those of us today who claim the name of Jesus Christ, we claim that we are his followers. That's us, church. Not just Crosspoint, but the big C global church. That's us. 
Listen to me, people. We have an opportunity like never before today to show this incredible grace as we live out our lives in March 2020. How we live our lives, how we talk every day to people that we come in contact with, hopefully through the appropriate ways that you have been encouraged to do. I'm serious. This is not a lighthearted moment or a joking moment. I am as dead serious as I possibly can be. I believe this is a time that God is shaking the church to become what we're told to become, and that is models of Jesus Christ in all aspects of our lives. As we speak, as we live and take into consideration and do the suggested ways that we should be living our lives today and be serious about it, but also go to our knees and pray. And then just ask God to give us that incredible grace in our lives to show a loving Jesus to a world that is seeking where is the hope It's in Jesus. Church, we've got an opportunity to do this. It is time to come up from our comfortable seats and to really get after what it is that we are called to be. And that is the face and the hands and the voice and the ears and the heart of Jesus to a world that is desperately seeking Hope and grace. Ultimately, it means there is a place for each one of us at the table. Everybody. We matter. I matter. You matter. Every person matters. We are desired and we are important to God. This Jesus who takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends, is constantly searching for us and rejoicing over our presence at his table. He invites us to come and eat with him. I want to encourage you, if you're listening today, no matter what your perceptions are of religion or church or God or Jesus or Christians, I want you to hear this. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we all matter and he came to provide a way of hope for everybody, wherever they live, whatever they are doing. And that includes today, and on in until the end of time. And so, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want you to know that he loves you more than anything. And that he was willing to show us that his starting place is at grace. And he provided a way for us to have that. And he invites us to his table. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for these stories that were shared many, many, many years ago, but are still relevant to today and will be on into the future. Father God, I thank you for the two stories that we covered in detail about things that were lost but were found and they rejoiced over it. I ask, Father, that as we close today, that you will be working in each one of our lives. Speak to us, God. Speak to me. Reveal yourself to us. However that might be, through our neighbors, through ourselves, to other people, that you are the source of hope for this world. And we desperately need it. We ask your blessing, Lord, today. In Jesus' strong and powerful and hope, life-giving, gracious name. Amen. There's a third story, the last one in that chapter. And many people have called it the story of the lost son, but I think it has been mistitled when it's about the lost son. It's more really about the loving father. That's what it's about. That whole image Yes, the son did some pretty ugly things, some pretty dumb things. But the father was not concerned about that. He was concerned about just lavishing his love on his son because his son returned. The son that was considered to be dead, lost, came home and was found. That's what mattered most. It didn't matter what he did. didn't matter to the father what mattered most is that the lost son was found. And that's where we are today. I want to just tell you as one of your pastors that that is vitally important in my life and that I am obedient to doing what God has called me to do. I do it different ways. Sometimes I get up here and preach. Sometimes... I get opportunities to go out into the local communities and take some of you with me, and we can do some incredible things around our community by reaching out to those that we come in contact with. Other opportunities are global. I've been around the world. I just got back from the Bahamas. But I want you to know, as one of your pastors, along with being incredibly honored and privileged to be able to do those things as a pastor, I am incredibly honored and privileged to be standing with this church, to be a part of this particular body of the Big C Church here in the local Fredericton area. And I want you to know that Vicki and I love each one of you so very much. Forgive me, I'm a weeper, but that's just the way it is. I really do love you. This is not... Fake. And Vicki and I want you to know that um, we have been praying for each and every one of you, for my teammates who are on staff here, for our lead pastor, Pastor John, and the incredible leadership that he is offering. And we just want to encourage you and let you know that we think of you often, every day, even though we're doing 
ministry as one of the pastors of Cross Point Church a little differently, but uh, we're still working. We're still uh, doing what God has called us to do, and that is to share this incredibly wonderful, amazing news of Jesus Christ to this area. And so know that we're going to continue to pray for you. If you need anything, give me a call. Don't come see me. Call me. Uh, it's not that I don't want you to come out and see me. I just want you to get healthy, and I want to get through this. Uh, I, I really cannot wait to see you physically. I really can't. But I want you to know we're praying for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you pray as well for, for me and the other pastors on staff here and, and those that are volunteering and working? But also, would you pray for each other? Would you encourage each other by calling each other up or FaceTiming or emailing, whatever it might be? And let's just really become what God has called us to be when he calls us to be the church. Thank you. God bless.